What a beautiful morning it is for us to come together to offer worship to our God. Thanks to Brother Bo for both of those songs this morning. Uh, he didn't ask for any suggestions to go along with the, the lesson this morning, but I think uh, both of those songs will fit very well uh, with our study from God's Word today. As you can see, y'all are stuck with me this morning in this uh, session. Uh, Gavin and Elaine are in Conway, and I think uh, Brother Gavin is preaching at the Northside congregation there this morning. Um, a lot of good things to say about him, and I, I've appreciated the uh, many good comments that many of you have made to him, to me about uh, the work that he is doing, but I'm uh, still excited about him working with us and not only the opportunities that he has to preach here and to teach here, uh, but as he's doing this morning, to have opportunities to go elsewhere and to uh, preach the gospel. That was so valuable to me uh, when I was starting out to uh, have the opportunity to speak to audiences small and large and to get to know uh, Christians from many different places. And so I know that's beneficial to him uh, as well. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 in just a moment if you want to go ahead and, and open your New Testament there, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. A trustworthy spouse, a reliable employee, a friend that you can count on. I think many people are looking for these traits in their fellow human beings. But sadly, as they look for these traits of faithfulness and trustworthiness and reliability in other people, sadly, we are often disappointed, aren't we? Because those qualities are very rare in the day in which we live. And I don't think it's necessarily anything that is unique to our time or our culture. I think it's been that way since... Sin has come into the world. But thankfully, all hope is not lost because we find these characteristics in our good God. As we've already sung about this morning, as Scripture tells us repeatedly that our God is a faithful God. And as you read through the New Testament, you find that there are phrases like, as we will look at today, God is faithful, that He is faithful, the Lord is faithful, faithful is He. And those kinds of thoughts, those kinds of phrases are found in several New Testament texts. But we're going to look at five of those today as we think about this comforting truth that God is faithful. We're going to consider two of those in this session this morning. And then, Lord willing, in the worship hour at 1040, we will come back and look at three more of those I don't know how often we think about just in our everyday life or in our personal studies to think about God and to think about who God is. But the Bible, of course, has a lot to tell us about who we are and about our responsibilities and how we are to live our life here on earth. But all of that really is in the greater context of who God is, that none of that really has meaning or value to us if God isn't who God is. And we think about God as being good. We think about God as being great. We think about God as being sovereign. Uh, we think about God in a lot of ways that the Bible describes us to Him. But what I want us to do today is to focus on just this one characteristic 
that God is faithful. So we're going to begin there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And if I would invite you again to turn there if you haven't already. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And let's read here verses 4 through 9. 1 Corinthians 1 beginning at verse 4. The Apostle Paul writes to the church here at Corinth and he says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. As Paul opens this first letter to the saints at Corinth, as he describes them here, the church of God at Corinth, he is expressing his thanks for these saints. We know from our reading of this particular letter that these saints had a lot of problems, didn't they? They had a lot of issues to work through, and Paul uh, is very much to the point about a lot of those things in this, this letter. He doesn't beat around the bush. Um, he is very frank with them and very open and very honest about the things that they need to correct, the things they need to work on. These, I think, as a whole, we could say here's a church of, of Christians who, for the most part, are spiritually weak. They are immature in their faith in Jesus Christ. They are struggling to grow up in Christ. But Paul still considered them to be the church of God here in the city of Corinth. He still considered them, as we uh, didn't read, but in the first few verses here, he considered them to be those who were sanctified in Christ Jesus. They've been set apart. He considered them to be brethren in the Lord. He considered them to be God's holy ones, the meaning of the word saint. He considered them, again, to be God's church or God's saved people. And he was thankful he was thankful for who they were. He wasn't thankful for exactly where they were in their spiritual maturity or walk with Jesus at this particular point, but he was thankful for where they were in, in comparison to where they had been. He was thankful, I believe, as we've just read here, beginning at verse 4, he was thankful for their ready response of God's saving grace in Christ Jesus. He was thankful that they had grown some. They still had a lot more growing to do, but he was thankful that they had grown in speech and in knowledge. He was thankful for their completeness and the gifts that God had given them in Jesus Christ. He was thankful that these people were eagerly anticipating. They were looking forward to the Lord's return. And you can find all of that in the verses that we just read here at the beginning of this book. However, in all of that, Paul, I think, realized what we're thinking about today. He realized that each of these thanksgivings for these brethren, each of these blessings that they were enjoying were only possible for them because God is faithful. Because God is who He is. Because God doesn't change. Because God is reliable, that we can trust God, we can count on God to be who He is. As you think again about the things that the Apostle Paul writes here, especially uh, at verse 9, he says that God really is the one who called them into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ. God is the one who had graciously given them new life in Jesus Christ. As we studied about, I think, in a lesson last year from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, who were these people before they became Christians? They were just like the rest of the world, right? They were just like their culture. 
They were people who were given over to idolatry and adultery and fornication and homosexuality and theft and all kinds of sins. They were just like everyone else, but it was their faithful God that had given them, by His grace, new life in Jesus Christ. Paul knew as he wrote these things about these Corinthian brethren, as he could express thanksgiving for who they were, he knew that the faithful God is the one who would confirm them blameless in the day of Jesus Christ. It, It wasn't going to be because of how good they were. It was going to be because of how good God is and because they had placed their trust and their confidence in Jehovah God because he is faithful. Though again, these brethren were not at the point that they needed to be. They had not yet reached maturity. They had not yet grown or or reached a point in their faithfulness to God that they could just say, hey, (laughs) we don't need to grow anymore. And none of us ever reached that point. So these brethren still needed to grow in their faithfulness to God. But Paul is wanting them to know at the very outset of this lesson, or very outset of this, this book rather, that God is faithful. And I believe he wanted them to know that particular truth and to live with that particular truth every day because of all the problems and the issues that they had to deal with. He wanted them to have that that truth about God as the foundation of their faith, at least part of the foundation of their faith, that God is faithful. And because God is faithful, he wanted them to know that they could overcome all the temptations that Satan would bring their way, that they could overcome the sins and the struggles that they have just like we have. They wanted, he wanted them to know that God is faithful and that if they would only rely on the faithfulness of God, the trustworthiness of God, that they could overcome all those things. I, I want you to think about this thought as Paul begins this letter of God is faithful and go to chapter 10, a, a passage I think many of us know very well. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. As Paul begins this chapter talking to them and to us about Uh, the example, the negative example of God's people of old, the Israelites, and how often even though they had uh, God with them, as it says here in verse 4 of chapter 10, that they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them and the rock was Christ. And yet, even though they had God with them, in the next few verses here, we find that they forgot that, didn't they? (laughs) They forgot that God was leading them. They forgot that God was with them. They forgot, I think, the faithfulness of God. And because they forgot God's faithfulness, then they craved evil things. They became idolaters, verse 7. They acted immorally. They tried or tested the Lord. They were a grumbling, complaining people because they forgot the faithfulness of God. And Paul reminds them, of course, in verse 11, that these things happened to them, the Israelites of old, as an example And they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And so there's a warning that he gives to them and to us in verse 12. We need to not take uh, pride in where we are, who we are. We we need to not uh, think about our own faithfulness and say, well, I'm at a point where I'm faithful to God and there's nothing that Satan can do to get me off that, that position. He says we need to take heed lest we fall. And then he follows that up with a great promise here, a comforting statement in verse 13. He says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, and God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. The, the key, and I think there's, there's certainly a lot of, of uh, 
important phrases here in verse 13, but it seems to me, at least in my mind, the key to all of this is that phrase, God is faithful. Here is the promise of God, and God has made this promise to us that when we face temptation, when temptation comes our way, that he knows what we are capable of handling. He knows what we are capable of overcoming. He provides a way of escape. He gives us a way to get out of that temptation. Sometimes we don't take that way of escape. Maybe sometimes we're, we're kind of enjoying the pleasures of sin. We, we want to enjoy some pleasure. But here is the way. And all of that is made possible so that we can endure temptation that Satan puts in our way because God is faithful. So if we remain faithful, if we are growing in our faithfulness to him, we will not only endure temptation, we will not only overcome sin, but we will also enjoy the many blessings that he has made available to us in Christ. And we will enjoy those blessings now in this life, but certainly we can look forward to the many blessings that are to come when our earthly life here is over. God is faithful. I, I, I believe these Christians and all of us needed to uh, rest their faith and their hope on the faithfulness, the trustworthiness of God. The second passage I want us to look at this morning is found in the second letter to this same church in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And you can turn over there. And we're going to read beginning at verse 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 beginning at verse 15. And the Apostle Paul writes this, he says, In this confidence I intended at first to come to you so that you might twice receive a blessing. That is, to pass your way into Macedonia and again from Macedonia to come to you and by you to be helped on my journey to Judea. Therefore I was not vacillating when I intended to do this, was I? Or what I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh so that with me there will be yes, yes and no, no at the same time? But as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but is yes in him. For as many as are the promises of God, in him they are yes. Therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Apparently, as you read through, especially this second letter, there were some people in Corinth that were questioning who Paul was, right? <laughs> they were questioning the authenticity of, of Paul being a true apostle of Jesus Christ. And he talks about that more uh, later on in this particular book, especially when you come to like chapter 11. And then he begins, I think most of us know uh, that section toward the end of that chapter, he talks about, you know, the evidence for him being a true apostle of Jesus Christ that uh, he bears in his body the brand marks of Jesus Christ, and he has suffered literally and physically in a number of ways that he lists for us there. But they were also, it seems to me, maybe questioning his honesty or his sincerity in making an itinerary to come and to be with these saints, to visit with them. And as in the passage we just read, it seems like it was Paul's intention to visit them again. He says that he wanted to visit them on his way uh, to Macedonia, which would have been the region that's just north of Achaia where uh, Corinth was located. He wanted to visit them when he was coming from Macedonia, and he had not done so at this particular point. And so as he writes a little bit later here in the first chapter at verse 23, 
he says to them here, but I call God as witness to my soul that to spare you, I did not come again to Corinth. So he was writing this letter to them. He had not yet made another visit to the city of Corinth, to this church, because he says, I'm trying to spare you. And if you take that, that, that um, statement there and connect it over in chapter 13 of this book, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, he talks there, I believe it's about verse 15 or 16, that he was trying to spare them from using his apostolic authority to severely rebuke them in person. He, he is trying to write this letter and, and the second letter, as you know, compared to the first letter, that uh, there, there, it, it is a lot, um, it's a lot more personal than the first letter. Uh, there aren't the, the harsh warnings and rebukes that you find in the first letter. It seems like they are making progress from the time of the first letter to the second letter. They are growing in their faithfulness in Christ Jesus. But he's saying, I haven't come yet because I'm trying to spare you that. However, he reassured them that he, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, a true apostle, was faithful to his word. Just as God is faithful to his word, especially to his promises. And that seems to be what Paul is emphasizing here in this particular text. As he says here again at verse 20, For as many as are the promises of God, in him they are yes. That it's not yes and no, that we can have confidence when God says something that he means it. When God says something, we can take that particular statement, that truth to the bank, and we can mark it down that it is going to come to pass. And so he was encouraging them to think upon and to rest their faith and their hope again upon the promises of God because God is faithful. Uh, lots of passages we could go to in the, in, throughout Scripture that would talk to us about the promises of God and when God says something, when God makes a promise, uh, he always follows through on that. He always keeps his promise Think back, back to all the way back to the beginning of Scripture in Genesis chapter 1 and how often this particular phrase is repeated here just in this one chapter. Look at verse 3 as the writer is talking to us about the creation that God has made. Then God said, let there be light and there was light. When God speaks, something happens. When God speaks, he always follows through with that. Whatever he says, whether it is positive or negative, we're kind of thinking, at least I'm trying to emphasize maybe the positive aspects of the faithfulness of God or the, or the positive promises that God makes to us. But as you read through Scripture, there are also a lot of what we might consider to be negative promises. You know, like as you read through the Old Testament, God oftentimes says to the children of Israel, think about before they uh, got into the promised land of Canaan, that He's warned them. He says, you know, when you go into the land which... You haven't given yourselves, I've given to you. And uh, you live in houses that you haven't built and you plant vineyards that you, or eat from vineyards that you haven't planted and all those kind of things. You need to take a warning. You need to remember who I am. But there's also the positive blessings in that as well. But when God speaks, God always follows through. When God makes a promise, he always keeps it. If you think about them entering the land over in the book of Joshua, in Joshua chapter 21, Joshua 21, uh, toward the end of this chapter, beginning at verse 43, uh, here is what the Bible says to us. So the Lord gave Israel all the land which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they possessed it and lived in it. 
And the Lord gave them rest on every side according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. And, not, and no one of all their enemies stood before them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hand. And listen to verse 45. Not one of the good promises which the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. All came to pass. God kept his word. Did it take some time? Yes, it did. You know, from our point of view, it took several hundred years for what God had told Abraham to begin to be fulfilled here as they began to enter the promised land. But the point is that God is faithful and that God kept his word to his people of old. And God is the same God, the same God that drove out all the enemies from the land of Canaan is the same God that we serve today, the same God who leads us today. And so over in the book of Hebrews, as we think about ourselves in connection to the promises of God, in Hebrews chapter 6, let's begin reading there at verse 13. Hebrews 6 at verse 13. The writer says here, For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. And so, having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. In the same way, God, desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. It's just very interesting to me that, that the writer here says or has a section on what we're thinking about today, that God is faithful. And it comes after a section you probably remember at the end of chapter 5 into the early part of chapter 6 about those who maybe weren't growing as they should, those who still needed someone to teach them the elementary principles of the oracles of God, those who needed to, uh, to go back and kind of relearn those basic truths about God, those even as you come to verse 6 of chapter 6, those who have fallen away from Christ, those who have, have left Christ and gone back into the world to live for themselves, and how do you overcome all that? What, what's the answer, the solution to all of that? Well, at least in part, it is what the writer speaks of here. God is faithful. He goes back again to the promise that God made to Abraham. And Abraham didn't live to see, you know, those promises begin to uh, be fulfilled. But he trusted in God. His confidence was in God, not in himself, because God is faithful. And we can have that same promise too, as the writer is telling us here, we have hope. <laughs> we have it as an anchor of the soul. We have it something that is sure and steadfast, that is reliable and trustworthy because God is sure and steadfast and reliable and trustworthy. So again, I think the point here is when God says something in his word, we never have to wonder if he's going to do what he has said. Because God is faithful he will always, always, always keep his word. As we close this session this morning, I want us to think about uh, the words of the song, the first song that, that Brother Bo led us in, 
And those words, great is thy faithfulness, come from the book of Lamentations. And so you might open your Bible there. It's a a little book between Jeremiah and Ezekiel that uh, we don't often reference, but it has some good things to say in it. And as you can guess from the title, Lamentations, (laughs) it's a lament. Jeremiah, the prophet of God, the messenger of God, one who it seems was a faithful man of God, he's having to live through, he's having to suffer along with God's people because of their unfaithfulness to God. But here in the midst of all of this negativity, here you have this great, beautiful section in kind of the middle of chapter 3. So Lamentations chapter 3, beginning at verse 19 Here is what Jeremiah writes. writes. He says, Remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. Jeremiah, even in this very discouraging, disappointing situation, even as he's having to suffer along with God's people, and he is innocent. He's been faithful to God. He's been faithful in preaching the message that God has given him to preach. Where is his hope? Where is his confidence? How can he make it through? How can he endure? It's because he knows who God is. God is faithful. His loving kindness never ceases. His compassions never fail. He says a beautiful thought here as we begin our day that they are new every morning. Great, Jeremiah says. Great is your faithfulness. And so the promises of God, they are solid, they are sure, they are secure because of who God is. God is faithful. Let's thank God for being faithful. And let's think about his faithfulness the rest of this day. Before we dismiss to our classes, let's, let's go to our faithful God in a word of prayer. Our great and good God, our Father, we are thankful that you are a loving Father We are thankful that you are a forgiving Father. We are thankful as we're thinking about you today that you are a faithful Father. We are thankful that we can always trust in you, that your character, that your nature never changes, that your word does not cease to be, that what you have said so long ago, what you have revealed of yourself thousands of years ago remains true even to this day that we can rely upon you, we can count upon you when everything around us in our lives may be crumbling, when we may be suffering, when we may not be growing as we should, that we can always know that you are faithful. Help us, Father, to not be like your people of old. Help us not to be unfaithful. Help us not to be people who are faithless, but help us to be faithful to you Help us to look to you and to your great example, your perfect example, that we can be more like you and help us to place our confidence, to have our hope and our faith in you, our good and our faithful God. Help us to live this way, not only today, but 
throughout this week. Help us to contemplate your nature and your character and help us to imitate you in all that we think and all that we say and all that we do. And this is our prayer through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.